Amen. That was a blessing. Although I am a proud grandfather, so that kind of extra bias. Uh, Romans chapter 7, please. Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7. And let's look to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you that we can come together in this place. We pray, Father, that as we join together around your word, that, Lord, we would exalt your holy name. Pray that, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word. You would challenge us by its truth. That, Lord God, that you'd guide our time tonight. That our attention and focus might be upon you. And that, Lord, we might worship you in spirit and truth. We might exalt you. And I pray that, Lord, you give me wisdom as I share your word tonight, that I might have clarity of thought, that, Lord God, my speech might also be clear, and may uh, you take control of tonight. May that which is said be only that which you would have said, and may we learn from you, may you receive the praise and the glory. For this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So continue our studies in the book of Romans. We now come to an interesting part of Romans chapter 7, in fact, an interesting part of Romans in chapter 7 and chapter 8. In the last verses of this chapter 7, we have described for us the struggle that takes place in the life of every believer. Having shown us that the law was given to illuminate sin, the law was given so that you and I might be revealed to be seen to be the sinners that we are, Paul now explains the struggle that we as believers have in our Christian life in this matter of sanctification. This struggle that goes on between, in, between, in, in each and every one of us who know the Savior, between the flesh and the Spirit. Paul does that by relating his own experience. And through his own experiences, he explains the struggle that you and I face in our lives as believers. And first he explains that the law cannot change us in verse 14. The law cannot change us. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. Here the Apostle Paul concludes his discussion on the law of Moses, here in verse 14. And Paul says, for we know. What he's about to declare, we know to be fact. This is something we know. This is a a complete knowledge. We have a complete understanding of this fact. And what's the fact that we know? He says, for we know that the law is spiritual. This is a settled fact. The law is spiritual. Now we know that the character of the law has been described to us in the words holy, just, and good, back in verse 12. It says, wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And so we know that's the description, but now the apostle adds another word to describe the law of Moses, and he says the law is spiritual. The law is holy, just and good, nobody can deny. Because it comes from a holy and perfectly just God. And so the law that God gives has to be holy, has to be just, and has to be good, because it comes from a holy and just God. The holy law reveals God's holiness. It helps you and I understand what God's standard righteousness is. It helps understand what God means when he says, Be ye holy as I am holy. We understand what it means to be holy. It helps us also to see 
what kind of sinners we really are. For the unsaved, a sinner in need of a saviour, but as believers, he reveals to us how far short we fall of the holy standard of a holy God. But now the law is described as spiritual. Which means that the law is in harmony with the character and the purpose, uh, sorry, the character and the nature of God. It is spiritual in nature. It is spiritual in purpose. Its purpose is to show our spiritual condition. Now that we're saved, the law is a spiritual document that's given to you and I to reveal to us who we are. That you and I can look into the perfect law of liberty and see what manner of men and women we are. And it succeeds in revealing to you and I the kind of character that we have as believers. So we know that when it comes to sanctification, the law is not the problem. The law is just as perfect for the saved as it was for the unsaved. The law is a spiritual document declaring a spiritual purpose, which is to show you and I the holiness of God. The law is not the problem here. But that still leaves us with a problem. Because the problem is this, the law cannot change us. On the other hand, the other part of the problem is found in the second part of verse 14. It says, by am carnal, sold under sin. I am carnal, I'm fleshly, sold, having been sold under sin. The word carnal simply means of the flesh. The word under means under the dominion of sin. You and I are fleshly, we're under the dominion of sin, we're sold under sin. We are fleshly, but the law is spiritual. And here is the struggle that you and I as believers have. The law is spiritual, and you and I have the new nature dwelling within us, which desires to do that law. And you and I are carnal, we have the flesh with us. This is the struggle that we have as believers. This explains why the flesh responds as it does to the law. Remember we talked about it last week? The law... Uh, comes out, the law says, don't. What does the flesh want to do? The law wants to do the very thing, the uh, flesh wants to do the very thing the law says not to do. And that's true for believers as much as the unsaved. Because, you see, the law cannot transform our flesh. It could only reveal to us how sinful that flesh is. Now, Paul sees this carnality, this fleshliness in, in, this, in himself. He knows the law, and he knows that the law, though it is spiritual, has no answer for his problem with the flesh. The law is spiritual. It is, in purpose and character, perfect. But he is carnal. He's fleshly. The law cannot make his flesh perfect. Saying he was sold under sin here in verse 14... Paul was explaining that sin often enslaves even the believer. For although the dominion of sin is broken because of Calvary, and you and I have trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, and as we've said, we've been delivered from the domain of sin to the domain of Christ. You and I have been delivered from the position we found ourselves in Adam to a position we find ourselves in the new, second Adam, Jesus Christ. That you and I are now his children. We stand in his righteousness. We're justified by faith. 
That dominion over sin has been broken. You and I are no longer under the authority of sin. But the flesh still remains. The problem for you and I as believers is that our bodies remain tainted by the remnants of the old nature. That's why Paul describes the nature in Philippians. He talks about this vile body of ours. He talks about the fact that this vile body needs to be changed. One day this corruptible must put on incorruption. One day this mortal must put on immortality. One day this body must be changed. This vile body must be changed. Because this body that you and I have is fleshly. That's why it rots. That's why it gets old. That's why it deteriorates. Because this flesh is of the old. It's not yet being glorified. It's not yet being changed. You and I have been changed inwardly. You and I have a new nature. But outwardly, the flesh ever remains with us. It's stained with sin. And still has the sin principle within it. Never in Romans chapter 7 verse 15 on to the end of the chapter, Paul shifts the emphasis or the theme of the discussion. From the nature of the law of Moses, which cannot change us even though it is perfect, because we are fleshly, to the nature of the struggle we as believers have with a different law. And the law recorded for us in verses 15 to 25 is the law of sin. So secondly, he explains the dilemma caused by the law of sin. In verses 15 to 20. And the dilemma here is portrayed for us as an internal struggle within the believer. He says in verse 15, he says, For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate that I do. Here is the internal struggle that you and I all face as believers. Now Paul has explained that salvation in respect to the law of Moses in verses 9 through 12. And in that section, verses 9 through 12, all the verbs are in the past tense. These are things that have happened. Look at verses 9 and 10. He says this, For I was, past tense, alive without the law. But when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died, past. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found, past, to be unto death. So in regards to our salvation, all those things have passed. They have happened to us. But from verse 14 to verse 25, the tense changes to the present tense. So he says in verse 14, For we know that the Lord is spiritual, but I am present tense. Sold under sin. I am carnal, sold under sin. Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. Present tense. For the, what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that is good. And so it goes on. All of them are present, uh, are present tense. This is the present struggle of the believer. And we notice the struggle of the believer because look at verse 22. It says, for I delight in the law of God as the inward man, after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity 
to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. It's the struggle of the believer. Contrary to what some commoners like us to believe, that this is Paul talking about his unsaved state. He's talking about believers. In fact, we know that because at the beginning of the chapter he says, Know ye not, brethren. He's talking to born-again believers. This is the struggle that we face as believers. And three times in uh, Romans 7, Paul states that sin dwells in us. Verse 14, he says, sold unto sin. In verse 18, he says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. And then in verse 20, he says, Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He's talking about indwelling sin. That is the flesh. That in this flesh, this body of sin that he calls it later in this chapter, dwells sin. Now it's also true that for you and I as believers, the Holy Spirit indwells us. For a salvation, we receive the indwelling Holy Spirit. We receive a new nature. And in Romans chapter 8, Paul is going to explain how that the indwelling Spirit enables you and I to live victory, something the law could not do because the law can't give us victory, and something that we struggle with because the flesh wants us to sin, but the Lord has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit to enable you and I to have the victory. And what we have here indicated for us is that the believer's mind, will and body can be controlled by either the flesh or by the spirit. You and I can walk in the flesh, fulfill the lust thereof and sin against the holy God and sin against that holy law or you and I can walk in the spirit, fulfill the will of God and honor the Father in all that we do. That's the struggle. The struggle between the flesh and the spirit, between the desires of the flesh, the simple passions of the flesh, and the spirit, the new nature, the inner man. But of course, that's Romans chapter 8. So let's come back to Romans chapter 7. Because here in Romans chapter 7, he's dealing with the flesh. And in Romans chapter 7, verses 15 to 20, he indicates the believer has two serious problems. The first problem that you and I face is that we cannot do good that we want to do. We cannot do the good that we want to do. The second problem that we face is that we do the evil that we don't want to do. So we don't do the good we want to do, but we do the evil we don't want to do. That's the problem here. So note firstly, verse 15. For that which I do... I allow not. Or the things that I am doing, I don't understand. I don't understand why I am doing what I'm doing. That's what he's saying here. You see, my desire is to do what's right, but what I'm doing is not that which is right, and I don't understand why it is I keep on doing that which I don't want to do. You see, his problem is not knowledge. Or rather, Paul's problem is in desire, because he wants to do what's right. Look what he says at the end of verse 15. 
He says, uh, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. He says, for what I would, that I do not. What I would like to do, what I want to do, those things I don't practice. His problem is desire. He has a desire to do right, but what he does is he practices that which is wrong. His problem isn't knowledge, because he knows right from wrong. The law has revealed that to him. The law is spiritual, remember that? The law is everything it ought to be. The law is not the problem here. The law is all it should be. It reveals to him what is right. So the problem is not knowledge. His problem is lack of power, which we're going to see shortly. But he says in verse 15 at the very end there, he says, what I hate that I do. He says, I do those things that I hate, the things I don't want to do, the things I have no desire to do, those things I do. He says he's not put into practice what he is deciding to do. I want to do right, but I fail and I do wrong. Or I want to do right, but I don't do it. Now how many of us face that very same problem? Isn't that true of us? So often we want to do right, but we fail to do it. This is not even about sin initially here. This is about simply doing right and not doing it. You know, for example, as one commentator put it, we decide, I'm going to get up at 5.30 a.m. every morning and have my quiet time. But even though we choose to do that, it does not often happen in practice. I want to do right. I want to get up early and have my quiet time. But how often do I fail to do what I want to do? I'm not even sinning as such. I'm simply not doing that which I want to do. I'd like to do this, but I'm not practicing what I want to do. And even though we choose to do that, it doesn't happen. We want to do right, but we often fail to put it into practice. You know the old saying, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And in verse 16 he goes on to say, if then I do that which I would not, I can send to the law that it is good. If I then do that which I would not, if I do that which I don't want to do, which is not by will to do, There is one consolation, he says. There's one consolation. If I don't do that which I want to do, there is one consolation. At least I'm consenting or affirming that the law is good. That's what he says in verse 16. He says, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now, the word good here means that the law is intrinsically good. Good in and of itself. Now, Paul is taking us back to the law again because he wants to back up the law. He, he wants to remind us that the law in itself is good. There is no problem is not the law. Remember back in verse 7, he made this statement. He says, what shall I say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Never not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. Is the law sin? He asked that question. If the law is that which shows me my sin, is the law in and of itself sin? And Paul went to great lengths 
to show that the problem was not the law, that the problem was you and I. The problem is us. The law is not the problem here. The law is perfect. The law is good. The law is just. The law is holy. The law is spiritual. The law is not the problem. God's word is not the problem. What God's word says is right and what God's word says is wrong is not the issue here. We're the problem. It's my sin. I am the fleshly one. I am the simple one. So his point here is this. If I want to do right, and I passionately want to do right, but I fail to do so, we're at least saying, agreeing, affirming that the law is good. Now his logic is this. He's saying that my willingness to do what the law affirms to be good demonstrates that the law in itself is good. Or as one commentator put it, it says this, my wanting to do the opposite of what I do proves my acceptance of God's law as good. Because I know what is right, I consent the law is good. The fact that you and I acknowledge that this is God's law, the fact that you and I acknowledge that God's law is good, the fact that you and I acknowledge that God's principles ought to be lived by, the fact that you and I know right from wrong demonstrates that the law is good. Because if the law wasn't good, you and I would have no desire as believers to want to do it. In Romans 7.17, he then goes on and says this, Now then is no more that I do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. It's no more I that do it. Now the word it there is referring to the things that we don't want to do. Okay, that's the statement here. Okay. So when he says now, it, then it is no more I that do it. It's no longer I that do the things that don't want to do it. But it's the sin that dwelleth in me. The problem here is not me per se, not my nature. It's the sin that dwelleth in me that's causing the problem. Come on, put it this way, that since he did not approve, but hated what he did, and willed the contrary, it was not he as spiritual, as born again, as a new man, a new creature that did it. He wants you and I to understand that the things that are produced in our lives, the thing that was produced in his life that was contrary to the will of God, the things that he does, but does not want to do, he no longer produced them. They don't come from his new nature. The problem here is not the law. The problem here is not the indwelling Holy Spirit. The problem here is not even the new nature because we're new creatures in Christ. The old man is dead. The new man is alive. The problem here is not any of those things. It's not the law. It's not the Holy Spirit. It's not my new nature. These are not the problem. They're not causing me to sin. In fact, all those three things are designed to help me to do righteousness, to live righteously, to be holy as he is holy. The problem is not in any of those, and it's certainly not in you and not in me. It's not our new natures. They're not flawed. They don't come from inside. They're generated by what? Verse 17 again. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. The problem is the sin that dwelleth in me. Paul is telling us where the inclination for sin comes from. 
And it comes from the indwelling sin. Not from the new man, but from the flesh. And new man wants to do right. That's why you and I consent to the law. The, the passion that we have as believers is we really want to do right, don't we? That, that's the desire of all of us. We really want to live for the law. We really want to obey him. We'd love to be holy as he is holy. We'd love to do everything right. And when we sin, we hate that fact. We don't like the fact we disobeyed God. We don't like the fact we sinned against him. It weighs heavy upon us. We want to do right. That's what our new nature wants. The problem then is not the new nature. The problem is the flesh. In verse 18, he explains this statement to us. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, the world is no good thing. For the will is present with me, but had performed that which is good, I find not. For I know, he says. He is not sharing something that he's learnt by experience so much here, but something that he knows as an objective fact. He knows, factually, that in him, that is in his flesh, dwelleth no good thing. He knows that for fact. That in this flesh, this mortal flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That's why this body is dying. That's why this body will go back to the ground. That's why when you and I die we pa and we pass from this life, this body will go to the ground and it will rot and we'll go back to dust where it came from. And you and I will one day receive a new glorified body because this body, this mortal, cannot inherit eternity. This body cannot inherit the eternal state. That's why we'll get a new body. It has a problem. And he knows that in him, that's in his flesh, dwells no good thing. Because the flesh is tainted, the flesh is spoiled by sin. This body has a desire to sin. This body has a desire to do the wrong thing. This flesh wants to pull us to disobeying God. There is a passion within us that still gets drawn to sin. The flesh is not good. And the flesh, flesh cannot produce good. Therefore, in verse 18, he goes on to say, For to will is present with me, but had reformed that which is good, I find not. Because of the evil nature of the flesh, and because we live inside this mortal body, with our minds, we want to do good. But how to do it is the hard thing. I mean, honestly, all of us want to do good. Our heart's desire is to do good. Well, at least it ought to be as believers. This is our desire. We want to do good. We want to do what is right. But the problem is, we don't do it. We still disobey God. The will, the want to do good is present with us always. But how to perform it is hard to work out at times. See, we have a new nature, so the will of God is in us to do right. 
But how often do we still fail? How often do we say, I want to do right, I want to obey, I want to be holy, but I just don't know how to win the victory in this. It's true for all of us, if we're honest. It's true for me, it's true for you, it's true for every believer. If we're really honest, this is it. You and I know what God wants for us. You and I know how we ought to live. But how often do we have a struggle with something, some area of our life that we know we want to do better in or we we want to turn away from a certain sinful practice, but we find it so hard to know how to do it because the flesh is ever-present with us. So as with Paul, the problem isn't desire. We want to do right. This is in verse 18. For to will is present with me. That's the desire. We have a desire to do the right thing. The problem is the knowledge, as we said earlier, because the word of God tells us that the law is perfect. So we know what is right. We know what is wrong. The problem is lack of power. He says that in verse 18, he says, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. We lack the power. Now, why do we lack the power? Well, we lack the power because the law gives us no power. You know, the law says, here are the rules. You'd better obey them. But the law gives us no power for keeping the law. Here is the dilemma that we all face. You know, you drive down the road and you see a sign, it says 60 kilometers an hour. That's the law. But that sign has no power to enforce that law. We know what the law says, but the sign cannot enforce it. That's the imagery here. The law has no power to change us. The law has... The law can fine us, the law can penalize us, but the law can't change us. Can't make us not uh, make us obey. Just because you got a hundred dollar fine for doing seventy, or maybe a three hundred dollar fine for doing seventy in the sixty zone, whatever it is these days, I haven't had a ticket for a long while, so I really don't know. But whatever they charge you these days for speeding, you know, that that, that will not stop you speeding again. It may well make you think twice about it, but it doesn't actually stop it if you're a lead foot. So the law tells us what to do, but the law has no power to cause us to do it. Now, well, you can sense the frustration here in the Apostle Paul. I know that in me, as in my flesh dwells no good thing, for the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. It's a frustration that's heard from many a believer And a frustration that I'm sure each and every one of us from time to time have expressed. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is Romans 8. And you're going to have to wait with me till we get there. Which is rather troubling. I, this week I said to the pastor, I said, I really am struggling with this sermon. Because, you see, Romans 7 verse 14 through Romans chapter 8 is all one thought. He's laying out in chapter 7 the problem and gives us the answer in chapter 8, but I can't preach chapter 7 and chapter 8 in one sermon, particularly on a hot night like tonight, because we would never get home. 
So unfortunately, you're going to have to wait till we get to our chapter 8 to find the answer. But the answer is simple in one sentence is this. In Romans 8, we're going to find that walking in the Spirit is the solution. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the solution. But we're in Romans chapter 7. So in closing today, let's look at verses 19 and 20. Because here, Paul sums up what he's already established. He kind of comes back now to talk about what he's already said, just to give us an overview again. He says in verse 19, For the good that I would, I do not. For the evil which I would, not that I do. And he repeats here verse 15. Which he'd already said in verse 15, he made this statement. He said, for that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. So he's made the statement twice, to strengthen, if you like, and to confirm that though he had a will to do that which was good, he lacked the power to do it. The truth is that in and of ourselves, beloved, we lack the power to do right. We can have all the will in the world to obey God, all the will in the world to want to do the will of God for our lives, all the will in the world to forsake a certain sin, all the will in the world to stop doing those things, all the will in the world to do this. But the will to do it does not give us the power to do it. You and I might have all the knowledge of the Word of God. We might know what's right and what's wrong. We might know God's perfect will for our life. But we do not have the power in and of ourselves to do it. And that's his point here. You and I are lacking power. Power that only the Holy Spirit can give to us to do it. In and of himself, he had no power to perform good. And therefore, often did that which he did not want to do. And he did not do that which he wanted to do. And that should sound familiar to us, because how often is that true of us? We want to do something which we know is what God wants to do, but we lack the power to do it. Or we don't want to do something that we know is not God's will to do, yet we lack the power to give it up. That's the dilemma that you and I face. That's the struggle that you and I face. That's the, the dilemma that you and I face when it comes to the law of sin. It's we don't have the power in of ourselves to have the victory. In verse 20 he says, Now if I do that I would not, is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Now we need to understand something here. The Apostle Paul is not denying his responsibility as a sinner. You and I not to think that in this section of Romans, chapter 7, verses 14 to 20, we not to think that somehow the Apostle Paul is letting us off the hook by saying it's not in him or in us, but indwelling sin, that's the problem, that's to blame. You know, that the unsaved uh, had no excuse for sinning, and so now that we're saved, we say, well, the problem is the devil made me do it. It's not my fault, it's somebody else's fault. Well, that's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that because you and I do not have the power to do right, or you and I do not have the power not to do wrong, the problem is the flesh, the problem is sin. And therefore, we're off the hook. 
Because what he's doing here is recognizing that as we sin, we act against the new nature. You see, we're new creatures in Christ. And the new nature, by its very character, wants to do the will of God. Wants to obey the Lord. Wants to obey the law of God. The new nature, because of its character, because you and I have a new nature because of the indwelling Holy Spirit, therefore the indwelling Holy Spirit is, is causing you and I, pleading with you and I, to do that which is right. The conflict, there is a conflict of interest in our hearts, the flesh and the spirit. The mind, the inward man, wants to serve God, but the flesh, the outward man, wants to serve, produce, in fact, sin. And that's the battle we all face. The impulse to sin does not come from who we really are in Jesus Christ. It comes from sinful flesh. To put it in a nutshell, what he's saying is this. When you and I sin, we sin against nature. We sin against our new nature. When the Lord saved you, when the Lord saved me, the old man died. Remember we talked about that in Romans 6 and Romans chapter 7? The old man is dead. You and I are new creatures in Christ. We've been made alive. We've been quickened. The dominion of sin has been broken. You and I are under the dominion of the Lord. You and I have a new king. And the new nature that you and I have through the Holy Spirit, through salvation, has a desire, a passion to do the will of God. So with our minds, with our hearts, we want to do the will of God. But you and I have this old flesh that we have to cope with that causes us to sin from time to time, but when we do sin, we sin against nature. A new creature in Christ. And what the Lord desires for you and me is that we act in accordance with our new nature. From Romans chapter 7, verse 21, through Romans chapter 7, verse 25, and then into chapter 8, Paul will analyze what is really happening in this struggle. He says in verse 21, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, a wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh the law of sin. And Paul is going to analyze in those verses for us what is actually happening in this struggle that we have as believers. And he'll identify the factors that are at play, which we'll see next week. But tonight in closing, in the Christian life, we all face a very real struggle. The law of God is good. And God wants you and I to live godly lives that reflect that godly law, that holy law. But it's not possible for us to live godly in our own strength because we have the flesh ever present with us. And to have victory, therefore, you and I need to walk in the Spirit 
so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, which is what we're going to see next time and then on into Romans chapter 8. But let this be an encouragement to us tonight. Even the great apostle Paul struggled with the flesh. Isn't that nice to know? You know, we're not alone in this struggle. As Romans chapter, uh, sorry, as 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, a verse you know well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. There is no temptation taken you, but as such is common to man. For God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will the temptation make a way of escape that we may be able to bear it. Notice the phrase, but such is common to man. That's Paul's point here. The great apostle Paul said, the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I don't want to do, I do do. And I do it because within me I have the flesh. And when I sin, I sin against nature. What I need is that nature to be empowered by God that I might have the victory. It's a very real problem for all of us. And as we move on in Romans, we're going to find the solution is from God, which is such a blessing. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank tonight for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. And Lord, this passage is, uh, can be tongue-tying and Lord God seems to be repetitious, but Paul, and I know you, wanted to make it abundantly clear for us. Father, the struggle is real. That as believers, we all struggle with sin and the flesh. But the victory can be ours through Jesus Christ. And we pray that, Lord, you commend your word to our hearts this night. And bless we pray in Jesus' name.